move along. Does John have any tips for moving on from being salty about the Penguins? And number two, how about Smith on the penalty kill last night? That was unexpectedly amazing. You don't ever move on from anything that the Penguins do. You just bottle it up for a long time so that it feels so much better when something goes wrong for them. I can explain this really well, and I'm glad that she used the word salty because you know what doesn't go well with ice and snow and penguins? Salt. It makes them melt. And you want all that saltiness. You can just melt the dreams of the Penguins fans. And how does it feel to support a team that actually does this? It's it's pretty wonderful to to <laughs> drive drive across state and then watch a bunch of guys who who struggle to win games just pound the hell out of an elite team, elite quote unquote. Um, it's it's great and it's been going on for over two years now. It's fantastic. Actually, I want to I liken it all the way back to the playoff series with Hartnell and mm. that was gorgeous. That was the time when James Neal was running around trying to kill everybody. He tried to kill Claude Giroux on the ice. <laughs> I said, "No, you, you leave someone in Pittsburgh long enough, they will they will murder to get their get their way out." He succeeded. It, yeah, it worked. Welcome back to the show that has more, a lot of things, but how about the more tattoos per 60 than any other show in Nashville? Is that fair? In Nashville? No. Yeah. As not far all as hockey shows go, yes. Maybe. Uh, I don't, am I the only one with tattoos on this show? No. Oh yeah, that's right. We did, we did this last week. Did we? Yeah. Yeah, we did. I we guess did. we did. <laughs> we discussed your tattoos last week. Exciting. Well, I guess it was two weeks ago. How long ago was it since two, two weeks? weeks. Two, two, weeks. Weeks. two weeks. This is the Predcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lions on Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Chris Link. He's John Garcia. He's the one that, that, that has visible tattoos. Yeah, they're, they're poking out of my sleeves right I, now. I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Yeah. I'm a blank canvas. Tab, tabula rasa? Well, I'm turning 30 this December, so I might as well like... I think I've, I've really been debating on kind of what I want at this point. It's actually funny that you say that because... Literally, like four or five days ago, a buddy of mine said was in Florida actually with his buddy, and then sent me a picture of a tattoo that he's got. He's like twenty eight, twenty nine now, and first tattoo got it in a, you know, one of those nights out. And then I got a text on the way over here. He got another one, so I think it's going to be one of those things where he just starts pretty soon. I'm going to go see him again. He's going to be all covered up. That's um, f- f- of course, uh, on the Fortech writer and our dear friend Chris Martell. That's that's kind of what happened with him. He got one done. And then within like six months, he has he got six more or something like that. Well, that's what happened to me too when I first got mine because I got my first one eighteen, and by twenty, I had six of them. And then you know I had to start living my life in the real world, and couldn't afford to get any more. They do get expensive. Yeah, especially if you want like elaborate pieces, and they want them to kind of make more sense. And you're gonna go with something I'm assuming Dan very abstract, very esoteric. Uh, I, I'm I'm thinking more like some like machinery, you know, like you know gears like and stuff. steampunk. No, I, everyone says that. Everyone says, "Oh, you want to go steampunk?" No, dude. What's steampunk about the inside of a transmission? All right. Just, just e- everything. If if you're into steampunk, everything. <laughs> Granted, so, it's it's gas versus steam. I, I mean, I don't know, Dan. With you, I would think you'd be something that would. You know, make someone think about smoked meats and barbecue. Like I don't, that just feels more you. Like you see the chefs who have like the um, 
the the cuts of meat cow tattoos and things like that. I just picture you more like meat themed tattoos. <laughs> I, I don't want to be known as like that guy is just literally like a walking bomb of cancer. Well, that could go that could go too because you were talking about machinery and you could get like a high end smoker like tattooed on your back. No, it'd be like, like the inside of it. Inside, yeah. I don't know what the inside of a smoker looks like other than you it's got, it's got racks with There's not really it. much going on. <laughs> it's really it. hard to see. It's <laughs> very smoky in there. Uh, since we last spoke, teams played four games. They finished up the West Coast road trip, and then they came back this past Saturday. We're going to go through all that. We got some of your questions as well. Uh, very strong effort on Twitter. i got to give a shout-out to Twitter. Really brought it this time. Bravo. Yeah. You know, credit where credit's due. Uh, including possibly the best question we're ever going to answer on this show. Uh, it's about pizza. But first, let's dive into it. Uh, for the, the most, uh, the oldest game went against San Jose. San Jose against a very good team, uh, tough place to play generally. But there weren't a whole lot of people in San Jose. Like if you looked around, that's kind of been a theme with uh, the Sharks this year: is that a lot more empty seats than normal. The excitement isn't there like it usually is. Uh, whatever direction they've been taking the team in the past couple of years has just decreased the level of excitement. The team's still playing decently well. Uh, especially in a week Pacific, but there's just the, that level of excitement is not where it used to be, and I think they're going to have a, another season or two where they might have to deal with that. Yeah, and because, I mean, you look at what they brought in a new coach, and that was about it. Their big free agent pickups were Joe Ward and Paul Martin. Not exactly, I mean, good players, but not exactly uh, guys that are going to put butts in the seat. So uh, after missing the playoffs last year and Again, going through uh, seven, eight years of just playoff disappointment after playoff disappointment, I could, you know, I mean, I don't know if I'd want to be like, oh, Wednesday game, here we go. I bet it's also something to do with the Warriors as well. Because the Golden State, the entire last, what, decade or so where the Sharks have been good, the Golden State Warriors have always been bad up until recently. So I'll bet you that's siphoning off some of the uh, attention that the Sharks normally get in the Bay Area. We haven't had to talk about that before. I have well, yeah, no, no, I don't think I ever have. It's never even crossed my mind. Do mm-hmm. they? I don't even know where the Golden State Warriors play basketball. They play in Oakland. They play in well. That's, I mean, that's like a. It's not a. It's a little bit of a drive. Not much. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing that that would I think turn someone off from going to a basketball game. But can I mention real quick? How much fun is that name, Golden State Warriors? It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's just like it doesn't feel like it means anything, but it's just delightful to say. Yeah. It's also a unique name, like Golden State. Yeah, there's a little Warriors. bit of there's actually creativity in a sports name. That's just unheard of in the United it's States. It's inoffensive. Well, I mean, they've had to change away some of the imagery, but... Sure, sure. But they've handled it, and they've done it well. Yeah, they've done it well. So, going on the actual game, the Sharks, you can still have you still have to respect. And they they just they do this every year. They start off every every year with like all, with balanced lines, and then as the postseason draws closer to... Uh, or the season draws to an end, they go back to their bread and butter, and that's Thornton and Marlowe together, and then Pavelski and Couture together. But... Starting the year, um, they had some had some good moments out of Joe Ward. Uh, Nashville really took it to him for most of the game, and I, uh, there was a very little point where I thought Nashville's not getting at least one point out of the contest. Yeah, I think that was the best game out of the road trip because they went in and they had fresh legs. They were ready to go. Uh, they were pumping Martin Jones with shots, and they weren't giving up a whole lot either. Um, and just like front to back, best game of the road trip. Yeah, I mean, the way everything came together was pretty much ideal for how Laviolette wants to run his system. I, I think you would have liked to see, you know, maybe a few more shots to, in, in a few more goals. But, I mean, that you can't control—you can only control it so much. And Jones uh, has been a good goaltender so far this year, so. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about that. So, Martin Jones, were you 
we pretty much buying in as far as him being a legitimate starter in the NHL, or do you think this is a this is the typical this first time starting is going to run out of gas at some point, and then let's we'll uh, when we get up to the All Star game break, we'll 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 know. I think it's yeah. still. I mean, we're not even to the point in the season where the standings matter, so it's hard to say. Yeah, and I wrote that in the preview that I wrote for the Sharks because I mean, right now he does look like a very good goaltender, and he looks like he could do really well for him. But at the same time, he's only played what. 10, less than 15 games so far this year, maybe 10. So I think that there's still a little bit ways to go, but I mean, I don't think that they have a whole lot to worry about. Eh, probably not. Um, follow that up with a uh, game against the Kings on Saturday, a uh, back and forth game. Uh, the Kings are very, were very hot at the time that they played them. I think they were what, on a seven or eight game streak at the time, getting things figured out for LA. Uh, Lucic finally coming around. They have balance with their top three lines. Um, I'm just happy they got a point out of the game. I'm not even mad about Carter getting a breakaway in three-on-three because that's what you're going to happen in three-on-three. But I would conversely say that may be – you know what? I'll, I'll agree with you. The Sharks team was probably the best of the road trip, but the Kings game was really good. I unfortunately didn't get to see any of the Kings game. I was watching Tampa Bay play the Bruins um, in Tampa. Ah, So I didn't get to see any of that game. But, it, I mean – Following it as best I could, and then watching highlights, things like that. It, I mean, it seemed pretty even to me. It was. That was the impression that I got from what I could see, and then, you know, I, and then you know, I liked to follow up and looked at all the stats, and and the only thing that concerning coming out of that is just seemed like the literally the bottom nine of the Predators weren't quite up to spec with the depth of the Kings lines. And that seemed to be maybe a difference maker. I don't know if, if that's something that you guys saw watching the game on, on last Saturday. Yeah, but also at the same time, I mean, we may forget about it just because the Kings missed the playoffs last year. But they're such a deep team. Mm-hmm. And they're s- still very, very good. Um, and I'm with you, Dan, where especially going into the road trip, if you had said, you know, they're going to win in San Jose, pick up a point against um, L.A., and then, you know, coin flip on Anaheim. I think most of us would have taken that, too. Um, and, yeah, I mean... There were a couple things where, you know, defensive breakdowns, turnovers, things like that. But for the most part, they played an even game and against one of the best in the NHL right now. Can't really can't really fault them for that. Not even upset about it. I mean, you're you're going to lose games against like that against, you know, some good teams like L.A. And it's just part of doing business. Um, They end the road trip with a with a uh, trip to Minnesota and. You know the Minnesota Wild are just going to question your ability to, you know, to survive, and your question of how much you really like the sport of hockey. How um, long can I stay awake through this game? Yeah, it's about right. Uh, they were the only team on this entire road trip to have a um, an, a shot attempt advantage over Nashville, and that's yeah, twenty three to twenty. It's like um, a three, three yeah. shot. It they also had. Or are you talking about like just shot attempts in general? Because yeah. they also had six power plays to well, Nashville's one. If you're looking five on five, you know it was. Distinct advantage ahead of Nashville, but yeah, if you include the um, if you include special teams, Minnesota had a few more power plays. Ended up evening out at the end with the Hodgson goal, so we'll right, take, we'll we'll take that. So the Hodgson goal, let's talk about that real quick. Minnesota, I think, may have a right to be a little bit upset about that. Just yeah, a little. <laughs> I mean, it, yes, but at the same time. It it is what it, those are going to happen all the time. I mean, if the ref decided that he couldn't see the puck or didn't know what was going on, and for the body language that Dubnik was giving, it looked like maybe he didn't have control of the puck, and apparently he didn't. Then the ref is absolutely in his right to not call the puck, or I'm sorry, blow the whistle for that. But and we don't, I mean, we don't know for certain. One of the one of the officials in the ice might have been able to see the puck loose. Uh, and you know, for every time you have people whine about, um, you know, th- th- about. 
the uh, the ref blowing the whistle too quickly, and now they didn't, he didn't blow it quickly enough for people. I mean, right. it's it's one of those you just have to deal with it. It's the nature of the game. You can't you can't turn around and say, oh, he it's such a quick whistle that that ruined the whole scoring opportunity. And then when a referee takes his time and tries to evaluate what the right call is, and then makes that call by not blowing the whistle, you complain that he didn't blow it quickly enough. It's people want it both ways, um, and of course it it depends on you know whose side of the the uh, the ice you're on. Who yeah, who's dice ice ice. Oh my, okay. <laughs> that makes way more sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, and now I lost my train of thought. Devin Dubnik, did you? Um, he allowed three even strength goals with this. Um, I know we were we're kind of campaigning for Dubnik regression 2015. Where where are we at with this as far as Minnesota goes? Because I know that Minnesota is going to protect their goaltender probably better than anybody else, but they haven't. They're not bodyguarding him like they did last year. Mm-mm. So is that just going to be? Is that just a style adjustment, or knowing that they're going to need more goals from this year, or is it more of a? Hey, we don't feel like we have to protect them, or do you think it's something that Minnesota is going to have to get back to in order for them to move back up the standings like they did last year? I think it's something that they're going to have to get back to because we talked about it last year, how they're just so good at suffocating and protecting the goaltender and not allowing a whole lot there. Um, I didn't notice that as much during this game. And the Wild are also scoring more goals than they were last year I think they're still middle of the pack but again you look at Dubnik's numbers right now and they're not good I mean not even like average they're not good um to where you know last year he was a Vesna nominee and he was playing really well it it just looks like something is off and they're getting they're making up for it by scoring goals and winning games despite the fact that he's not playing well and that's a dangerous dangerous thing for them to be doing What's what's interesting? He's playing on the level he did in the playoffs of the Wild, which is like, you know, he's not even. I don't think he's even at like a nine one. He's like sub nine one. I think he, yeah, I think he's sub nine hundred actually. Um, well, I, actually, is wait, he? Let me, um, okay, sorry, he just loaded. So yeah, so far this season, at all situations, he is uh, point nine oh seven or point yeah point nine oh seven, mm-hmm. and during the playoffs last year. He was um, .908. So he's kind of hitting the same numbers he had in the playoffs versus, you know, the 9-2 plus he had, or 9-3 he had through the course of uh, his his time with Minnesota last year. Which I think might just beg the question as far as, like, Dubnik himself. Because, I mean, I don't think anyone would say that he's a bad goaltender, even when he was in Edmonton. He was doing the work that he needed to do, just Edmonton was such a terrible team. Uh but then we saw the run that he went on last year, like both with the Coyotes and with the Wild. And for a guy to pop out and do what he was doing with absolutely like no track record for that, I mean, it's a little suspect for me. I mean, he, he, there was that uh, that whole head and eye tracking thing that he went that he training that he did, and plus working with Sean Burke, and Sean Burke's one of the best goaltending coaches in the NHL right now. I mean, mm-hmm. you, there's Mitch Korn, Sean Burke, and then there's everybody else. This is my my hot take for the evening, but. I think there's a lot of credit in that that went to Burke, but we at least expected Dubnik to be somewhat back to where he was. But just when you watch Minnesota play, I mean, you can tell they're not bodyguarding him like they were before. But the goals are, they're right, as far as you compare them to the rest of the West, I think they're in like the top five as far as goals in the West go. But in the West, everyone's pretty pretty even. It also um, depends on how many teams in the Pacific they've played. Because they've played a bunch of teams in the Pacific. They've probably pad their goals, their uh, their stats with that. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, that, the, the, the teams the Wild have been playing lately 
have been pretty mediocre to poor teams in the West. So they've been beaten up on the weakest, uh, you know, her, weakest sheep in, in the herd. Calgary right now is, is far and away, as far as like the, the worst, as far as allowing goals. Edmonton's at 43, Colorado's at 42, Winnipeg 41, Dallas 39. Calgary's at 59. <laughs> They've allowed 16 more wow. goals than the Edmonton Oilers and, the, and 17 more than the Avalanche. By the way, the Kings are at 29, Nashville and St. Louis are at 31. Just to kind of show you the spectrum there. So going to win a lot of games when you're not allowing a whole lot of goals. Speaking of not allowing any goals, Saturday. uh, Blues come into town, and the Blues were, I mean, let's let's give credit where credit's due. Wednesday night, they, uh, after coming off of playing the second half of back-to-back against Chicago on NBC, and they come down from 5-2 to and beat Chicago. That's like, a fun game. That was a fun game. Uh, I had my Budweiser red light synced up with the Blues gold horn, and uh, <laughs> as a virus, probably. And uh, I definitely turned it off for Saturday. It was just I'm thankful I did that. Well, if, yeah, I mean, if it had been, did you say it to the Predators for yeah, Saturday? Yeah, I, I have it on the So it was basically like turning it off. Yeah, pretty much. Does it work? Like, does it do the Blues gold horn when they score on the on the road? Yes, it'll play like the actual Blues goal horn too. It's the reason why I said it with the Blues because it does the Kings goal horn, mm-hmm. the Blues, um, the Blackhawks, and a few other. It doesn't play the song; it just does the horn. Interesting. So I should have it do. I don't know why they don't have the Nashville one because it's the same as the Buffalo horn. But I digress. They coursed the hell out of St. Louis. <laughs> they peppered. It's like I want. It's easy, really easy to sit up for us to sit here and say, "Oh, they're just throwing everything at the net. They're not really trying to make plays," but. On a lot of those shots, Jake Allen was screened. He didn't see the puck, and it still didn't go in. Well, they also had incredibly like good high-danger scoring chances throughout yeah. the game. So it's not like it was, oh, they got 45 shots, but they're all perimeter shots. They're all from the point or something like that. I mean, there were um, like very, very good scoring opportunities, and they were either hitting the post or or Allen was making a great save, or they were getting lucky. Like All three of those things were going against Nashville, which is extremely frustrating when you play a game like that. Because, yeah, okay, the Blues get the first goal, still one nothing game, and they're outplaying St. Louis for the rest of the game, and then all of a sudden it's 3 to nothing. Yeah. Top to bottom, the Predators played their game. They played it well, and they did everything they needed to do to be successful. I mean, they, they... generated a ton of great scoring opportunities. They didn't allow a ton of great scoring opportunities against them, and they still lost. It's one of those really brutal nights. Uh, to back up your numbers here, uh, scoring chances for 33. This is even strength. 33 for Nashville, 15 for St. Louis. High danger, 10 to 5. Zone starts, 18 to 11. And this is a Nashville team that has not started in their in the offensive zone as much as last year. No, I think they're bottom five in the league. If I from uh, when I ran the numbers for the first ten games, they were they were down there as far as starting in the they're, ozone. Yeah, they're twenty fifth um, in the league. Okay. And I, part of the reason I was because I was thinking about that today. And I'm like, well, what ha- what do the Predators do when they start in their own zone? They roll out the Gostad line to take the defensive zone face off. They may win it or they may lose it, but then they desperately try to break out, and and that bot, that fourth line just gets shelled. And mm-hmm. so they just had to take more and more defensive zone face. It's kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy. We're going to fail by doing the exact same thing over and over mm-hmm. again. They also won face-offs 26-16 to 16 against St. Louis, which is a very good face-off team. That was yeah, there's, yeah, I mean, that that's the, these are the games that, that drive you nuts as a hockey fan because one team was clearly better top to bottom, beginning to end, 60 minutes, and they still lost in a brutal fashion. Except <laughs> on special teams. We haven't talked. We were going to talk about this a little bit later on, but the penalty kill has not looked great. Uh, didn't look good against Minnesota. Anaheim, they can make anybody's penalty kill look bad. Just depends on how motivated the team is. 
And the Blues have all kinds of weapons on the power play. So if there's a weakness right now with Nashville, their power, their penalty kill has came rocketing back to earth. Well, I think the issue, I think, I think with the penalty kill is the same issue with the five-on-five play where they have the weak spots. The guys who are leaned on to be great penalty killers in most cases are still the you know fourth-line players who get lit up night in and night out for Nashville. Mm-hmm. That fourth line, like when there are nights where Nashville is dominating play, that fourth line, I think even in the St. Louis game, I think they broke even. I think they were zero for uh, as far as Corsi events. But most nights, if the Predators are even dominant, they'll be negative. There, I mean, I was looking at one where people, where some of the the predators at the top had like you know uh, uh, plus minus for Corsi like twenty five or or double digits and things like that, and then you had uh, Borg Gostad and Gostad yep. and Watson at negative four. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are guys you put them out there, they get they just get whether it's the deployment, how they're told to play the game. I don't know if it's a reflection on them or, or just the 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 duty they're given. They just get obliterated. So you put out for the the penalty kill with one fewer guy out there. How do you expect them to be successful? And that's a that's a really good point there too, because like when you think about it, Forsberg hasn't been killing penalties a whole lot. I think he's been on the PK a little bit um, this season. Uh, we talked about Smith being on there recently. Uh, Fisher is one of the big guys in the penalty kill. Is probably like the top guy. Everyone else though sits on the bench and lets Nystrom and Gostad and Bork out there to do the work, and then uh, you know Weber and Yossi and everything, and. I haven't delved into the numbers, so this might be a topic for next week as far as, uh, you know, shots allowed, shots against, everything like that, what they're doing as far as face-off wins. Um, I can go look at some video as well, but, I mean, the penalty kill was a big strength for them at the beginning of the season. Both special teams were, and then last night, uh, they give up the two power play goals, and then they also have that five-on-three that they couldn't convert on, which probably would have been a momentum well, shifter right there. They had there. two five-on-three opportunities. One mm-hmm. was, I think, well, one was 11, 11 seconds, seconds, but yeah. that's enough to cause some trouble at least. If you win the face-off, that's enough for to at least... Well, and they did. They won the face-off, and they got a shot on goal, and it just rebounded to the wrong person, and they it, cleared it, it out. It was the same thing that kind of happened through the course of the night. But mm-hmm. for, I, their, for their first, like, like eight games of the year, they only allowed two power play goals. Over their last four, they've allowed five power play goals. I mean... A, that's an increase. When did Eric Nystrom get hurt again? L.A. game. Okay, since the L.A. game, I don't mean I'm not a huge fan of the, of Eric Nystrom's style of play, but I don't. I wonder if they're related because that's the hmm. one thing that like he's always touted. One thing that he's supposedly great at is killing penalties. Personally, I, I would I like the strategy of rolling out Kyle Yarncroke and Philip Forsberg out there on the penalty kill and just trying to get the puck. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to see. Uh, you know, if they can deploy Austin Watson a little bit more, a little with a little dif- differently, with maybe some different people on the penalty kill, because he's got the two-way skills and he show he can show he can, he can really transition on even on the PK. So maybe not get him out there with guys who can't who can hardly skate oh, and Mika. just to see what he can. Yeah, I mean, Salamaki that could be interesting. Salamaki and Watson, they have they've played together some. They know each other's game. Yeah, I don't know if Lobby is going to want to put two rookies out there during a PK though. Why not? It's the regular season. I mean, it, are you a Kings fan? <laughs> it's a regular season. Psh, it's it's really long. Yeah, <laughs> just go he, ahead and get the rookies right. out there. Yeah. It's super long. Well, if one of them goes down for blocking a shot, you won't yeah. cry over it too much. You yeah, know? I mean, like, you know, you, you give them, you know, a grand total of, you know, two minutes of penalty kill time over the course of a week just to see if it works. It's not going to end your season. So why not give it a shot? Yeah. Hmm. Hopefully not on that. All right. Radical. Um, 
I'm a radical. You can't control <laughs> me. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put player rookie. Do it. Put Hutton out there. Do it. <laughs> Actually, no, that'd be a bad idea. That'd be a terrible yeah. idea. <laughs> I don't. Maybe he's a good skater. I don't know. Uh, anything else uh, stuck out over the past uh, week and a half or so? We didn't talk about the Ducks game, but the only the only reason I want to bring that up, I, we, I think we mentioned it in passing, mm-hmm. is that the Ducks game is very similar to what we saw in against. against yeah, St. you're right. I did, I, hold on, I, I apologize for that. I completely just glossed over the Ducks game because, like, and I have it written in big bold letters here: Carter Hutton, ladies and gents. But but beyond just Carter Hutton not being able to stop goals. Uh, is that it was really the same thing. You had a Predators team that outplayed the Ducks in most aspects of the game, and they still lost 4-2. And now you can you can say, okay, well, it was, it was bad luck. It was the fact that there's a sub... sub I wanna, how do I word this properly? A sub-average backup goaltender? Sub-par. Sub, well, subpar, subpar sub-average. Sub, par is average, right? Substandard. No. Subpar is below par par with par is average average, right yeah so everyone's saying the same thing Mm. i love that but yeah what do you do do you say it's bad luck do you say it's it's the goaltending do you just say oh we got outplayed and lie to yourself well there's also the fact that i mean anaheim's percentages too were due like due to come back i mean you knew that at some point they were going to start scoring goals, especially when they they'd only had ten goals, I think, leading up to that game. Like They're still and, bottom of the entire of the entire West. Yeah, and so you knew at some point that they were going to have an offensive output, and then you know you have that with a team that can't should be able to score goals, and then you put Carter Hutton in net. I mean, that was a recipe for breakout Anaheim breakout written all over it. The Anaheim Ducks have scored twenty two goals this year, and how many games? 15 <laughs> quite a few and and of those 22 goals uh four from game against the natural predators ouch in one in one game ouch so uh, i want to go and get into this now um before the break uh, this is a little more league news but it is the hot button topic outside of the uh the hall of fame so philadelphia flyers uh play against the oilers and uh um uh, connor mcdavid going to be out for a while with the uh the old, good old collarbone injury which you know it, it, it takes what seven weeks to heal that before you get back where you just turn back into an all-star hockey player yeah is that how it works pretty much i mean it, there's there are a few upper body injuries that are worse <laughs> than a collarbone i was making a cane joke i i don't know who you're talking about okay cool he was he was part of the chicago six mm. yeah mm. you mm-hmm. know where they had six guys in the ice um it's a, it's a famous bunch of people like the matt shane one Matt Duchesne walks the line. <laughs> well, well, he, he yeah, walked the line is, is, is a little generous, I think. He was far beyond the line. So, uh, two two things on this. Number one, um, Don Cherry was out there saying that the, the Flyers, you know, tried to hurt this kid, blah, blah, blah. And just the overall, just the media, uh, uh, there's not a really a nice way to put it, but if you went to Sportsnet or if you went to TSN, it was literally the entire page with like 20 different posts of all different types of, of media. What's your take on that? Just are, are you okay with, with the way, with all of hockey media just wrapping their arms around this kid, even though that, you know, there's a couple of good old Canadian boys in Phoenix, right? Or in Glendale right now, just probably putting on more better, a better show than he is. He's got a Canadian passport. He's playing in a Canadian city. I mean, they he's are kind of McDavid. Yeah. And they, they're going to run with that as much as they can. 
I mean, he's the most highly touted prospect in 10 years. He didn't start off great, but then he had, what, 12 points in 13 games. I mean, he was pretty much living up to exactly what people thought he was going to be doing. And as soon as he starts getting rolling, the Flyers of all people, which, you know, is a great, great... That, I know, you're shaking your nar- head. Well, that, that, that's narrative, I know. narrative. Like, the Flyers have not been the Broad Street Bullies in, like, 20 years. Unless they're playing the Penguins in the playoffs. And I agree with you, but at the same time, I'm never going to get the Flyers the benefit of the doubt. Well, they, they shipped off Zach Ronaldo. Or as as um, Flyers fans know him as Zach Romaldo. Romaldo. Zach Romaldo, <laughs> yeah. By the way, the uh, the if if you you probably haven't uh, read Broad Street Hockey, people listening, but going there and checking out their Zach Romaldo blog posts is well worth all the time investment. They're so good. Uh, they are hilarious. Uh, they are. I mean, it, I I wish I could remember the name of the guy who writes them, um, but he is phenomenal, and, and it's just it's amazing comedic writing mm-hmm. i will say that flyers fans probably are a, a sneaky sneaky funny as a whole flyers fans on the internet at well least, yeah i was gonna on say the internet at least the ones that have hilarious. writing writing power and can publish things it, the rest the ones who are not sneaky funny um and don't have writing power are, are on the radio in philadelphia or they God can't they, them. they can't read or no, write csn we don't talk about csn csn philly is like mm-hmm. the worst thing ever I don't yeah. know. Hashtag yeah. Flyers talk. <laughs> oh, no. That is... That is yeah, it really thing. is. It's like... It's literally, they just lock it down because you can only watch um, Flyers games in Pennsylvania if you have CSN. I, I think there's a pattern here, actually, because CSN Chicago is equally as bad. The, the Sharks broadcast well, is perfectly fine. But Comcast doesn't own <laughs> Blackhawks like they own <laughs> the Flyers. <laughs> this is true. Right? The Blackhawks are owned by uh, a liquor store family. Um... All right. Well, well, we'll get more into like the, inter- the general NHL news on the other side of the break. But um, so did we want to keep going with Connor McJesus or? Oh, we'll, we'll come we... back. We'll come okay. back to McJesus. Okay. Um, as like... far as the team goes, um, not a whole lot really going on. It's basically the same roster. Everybody's healthy. Uh, they call up Anthony Boteto for, I guess, just to end the conditioning stint. Personality. I don't I get that. I, don't I really don't. What the carrying the eight defense? They probably don't want to waive him. Yeah, that's probably it. They're either want to get something for him, or that's it. They probably just don't want to lose him for anything. I've seen no reason one why he should have made the team out of training camp to begin with. No, because Victor Bartley is not great, but he's a perfectly fine. You know, every once in a while, uh, you know, serviceable seventh defenseman that can see a couple of games every couple of weeks, maybe. But having Anthony Boteto there is just like having a worse Victor Bartley. Who's right-handed? Exactly. Like, why? why? <laughs> uh, I don't get it either. No, it doesn't make any sense. One thing that we did see, we have we talked about it a little bit earlier with Mika Salamaki, who's now playing second line minutes. Now the lines are Mike Fisher centering Neil and Forsberg. You've got Mike Ribeiro centering Mika Salamaki and Craig Smith. None of us predicted that combination Mm-mm. at any point. I know Ribeiro likes playing beside Smith. Uh, we saw him with with. General success in the first line last year. Salamaki just—it seems like he's playing his own game out there. What do you? What else, am I the only one seeing that, or is it looks like he's just trying to play like a third or fourth line role next to two really skilled players? I I think um, what makes Salamaki interesting on that second line is that he is active in a way that that Ribeiro and Smith are not. Ribeiro and Smith are very much going to be focusing on the skill, finesse, positioning play. Salamaki is going to be a little bit 
kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. He's gonna he's going to you know if he sees that you know Baron Smith are, are favoring one side, he's going to try to find an opening on on, on kind of the, the the weak side now, and and he'll be ready to shift over and kind of he's not he, he's not afraid to just use up a lot of energy out there. And I I love seeing that I love that element, especially if he can start putting together with maybe getting some more more shots going. But I just I love that little pinball element. I think it's really useful. And so far, he's shown that that he can do it better than Bork can. I think he's not uh, bigger than Bork too. He's yeah. Pretty... And so I always liked the that that chaotic element that Bork introduced, but he was missing some tools. I think Salamaki can put it all together and have those tools with the size and be. A better Bork, which means he's probably a second line type guy, which is great. And he's also very smart. Like if you watch him on the ice, he he knows where he needs to go, and he is trying to find the open space to make a play. And there's not really a book out on him right now because I mean he's a rookie. He's only played a couple of games. So mm-hmm. uh, and especially with a playmaker like Ribeiro and uh, a player like Smith, who people know can score goals, even if they're not happening right now. Um, he could fly underneath the radar right now and find some open ice and pot a couple goals. And he's had some good chances. Yeah, he's looked yeah. good out there. I agree. Yeah. Uh, it, I do. I also final comment um, on Salamaki that, that I like to have uh, is he's come up through the Finnish system, of course. And the great thing and the fascinating thing about the Finnish national team and how they produce their players is they have they don't always have the highest scoring talent, the highest power, like the high power forwards, but they have a really strong sense of identity and team. And that translates out through the players and how they approach their own teams in the NHL or, or over in Europe. And so you, he's, a, he's a guy who does the job you ask him to do, and, he, and he's going to be doing it to support whatever the team's goals are. Uh, and, he, and you're not going to get a lot of lazy play. You're not going to get a lot of the things that you, you can run into with, with some guys. Barry Trotz missed his calling in life not to be the Finnish national team coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably. I think you're right about that. I mean, you, you got Salamaki, Salamaki Jokinen, uh you see not uh not sure really. sure but they all but you're right they all have kind of that same kind of identity to them where it's a when they, isn't it true with uh with finnish players they don't start playing uh they play all their positions until they get to a certain age like they'll grow up playing defenseman forward everything but goaltender up until they get a certain age yeah uh, i know i'm not for that i'm not the only one who's heard that no right? no i know yeah mm-hmm. okay i'm with you all right on that but yeah they win together the fi- finnish players they win together and i think they bring that to the team as well and I, and that's really great especially when you're trying to find chemistry on those top two lines, and the, it's not always working like it was with the with the Wilson um, Smith Ribeiro combination. I really wanted Barkov so bad in that draft. It would have been nice. Should we have a moment of silence for Barkov? Uh, we already had it a couple years ago. That was <laughs> that was a rough show. <laughs> Just looking back, I mean, we're very happy with Seth Jones, but just man, that was a rough show. Be happy with Barkov. I'm very happy with Barkov. Coming to the other side of the break, we're going to talk about. Uh, we're actually going to answer some of your questions. Thank you again for your input. Going to go around the league and got some more questions to ask these guys too coming up after the break. Listen to the podcast brought to you by Lionzone Internet Marketing Solutions and on the forecheck.com. These days, you need to partner current and latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing like social media, search engine marketing rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402 
That number again is 615-353-0402, or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Welcome back in. Uh, so how many people did you guys get out there for the uh, Tottenham game today? Uh, we probably had over 50. I wanted, I, I think um, mo- all Spurs fans, except I think we had like three Liverpool fans for some reason. All they sat in the back watching Crystal Palace beat, beat up uh, Liverpool, which was fun. Um, but yeah, it was a really good turnout because it was North London Derby, so they were playing the arch rivals and... and that's always a lot of fun, a lot of, lot of singing, um, lots of inappropriate songs. Yeah, do not bring your kids. Uh, there was want, a baby there. If you want to drink beer at like 10 o'clock in the morning and just swear. 6.45 a.m. 6.45, you know. I mean, that's what I do on the weekends If anyway. you don't drink in the morning, <laughs> you can't drinking. drink all day. <laughs> yeah, I always I, the joke I always um, tell people, and it's not really a joke, is, is that since I became uh, – uh, a soccer fan, specifically a, a Premier League fan, is that I don't really drink after noon on the weekends anymore because I'm usually done by the time noon rolls around. <laughs> I'm just like, nope, that's it. It's just water the rest of the day. Fair enough with that. Um, I want to play have a little bit of a uh, little bit of a discussion here on this real quick. I'm going to be running a feature on uh, on on the four check shortly about this, and uh, I kind of wanted to get your opinion on this. is a bit of a bit of a kind of a spur of the moment project here. Um, so I'm looking through just the the path this draft from this past year and this draft and the, and the one before that both very good, uh, this one especially good at the top of the draft and the 2013 draft as well. Off the top of your head, and you can go ahead and use whatever resource you want to use. Uh, just kind of have this in the mind for uh, next week's show. What was the best draft that you can remember? And as on as a kind of a side note to that, and I don't need to know this right now, but unless you guys want to go and just openly brainstorm on this, but. What was the Predators' best draft? Oh, sorry. The first one you first asked, what's the best draft you remember? I'm like, still POTUS 44 from Black Abbey. But now the you specify hockey related, I have to think about that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, 2003's draft was really good. Um, everyone kind of knows that. Mm-hmm. I get where you're going with that. You're gonna you're dropping a Black you Abbey like beer my, reference. You don't like my puns. It's okay. I like, I like it. I also nice. like POTUS 44. POTUS so. 44 is a really good My beer. favorite. Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm like, yeah. I was just thinking to myself, I hope some black guy was listening. It's like, oh, you know what we need to do? And then I'm like, yes, send us beer. Actually, I can. We'll talk about that we'll later. Talk, we'll talk, talk about talk that business later. later. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, off the top of my head, I'd have to go through because 2008 was a- after really after a little bit, just all the players start running together. I'm not as good as, you know, like uh, Jim Boomer Gordon when bringing up players and what year that they were drafted. Uh, who was uh, 2008 uh, Kane and uh, Tavares? Mm-hmm. And uh, or, no, 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 no. They, they were they were much later. No, yeah, they the, were much later. 2008 was Stamkos, Dowdy, Bogosian, Petrangelo, and then Colin Wilson was pick number seven. 
Hooray! I, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of it's like I'm still feeling pretty good. Of, even about like the 2014 draft was pretty. I mean, as far as recent ones, because I mean, you know, Fiala's obviously having a bit of struggle, but you know, you have Fiala, you've got uh, Kamenev. If I Arvidsson right. was part of that too. Arvids, yeah, Arvidsson was part of that. I mean, Doherty, who may do something at Kirkland. some point. Yeah. Oh, and he's Doherty is still going. He's in the juniors right now. No, so, he's, uh, well, yeah, he left. The, yeah, he he left, left Wisconsin. Wisconsin to go to juniors. So he's probably going to be two or three years from now. Is when what time frame on him? Yeah. Um, but he's still actually uh, uh, hockey. Hockey's Future just uh, released an article about uh, like detailing the Predators' prospects, and he was one of the top defensive ones on there. Well, Nashville's defensive prospects are pretty thin right look, now. You look at the 2009 draft. You had Ellis, uh, Beck, Lada, Smith, Ekholm, Bork, all drafted in 2009. All playing in the NHL right now? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's I think, a pretty impressive And I think draft all draft. of those players have played at least close to or above 100 games already. 2008, I, I must We're not, yeah, we don't. 2008 was bad. You had Wilson taken in front of uh, Michael Bodker, uh, Josh Bailey. And Tyler Ennis, I think, too. Or is that a different year? You had Chet Pickard picked, uh, well, also, uh, yeah, Chet Picker picked two um, two positions after Eric Carlson and also before Delzato, Jordan Eberle. Uh, yeah, that, I can just keep going off names. Tyler Ennis was also on that list. You're That's right. it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, not not a not a great one. Even though it did produce Roman Yossi, which you know is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. I, I think the 2009 might actually be my favorite. But yeah, 2008. Uh, Produced Roman Yossi, Colin Wilson, and Anders Lindback, essentially. Because Chet Pickard is, he, he did like the ninja thing and he threw down a puff of smoke and he disappeared. Yeah, I like, like so that. many national draft goalie prospects. Yeah, well, which is funny because uh, uh, Chet's brother was wow. doing good things for uh, Colorado last year. It's actually playing well for him. As, question, you know, question. Yeah. Can, can anyone actually play well for Colorado these days? Yeah, I think so. It's not very easy because Patrick Waugh is a terrible coach and he's running that but team it, into the ground. The, the question, like asking if anyone can play well for the, for the Avalanche is, is like asking that classic, if a tree falls in the woods and there's no one no one around, does it make a sound? It's like, it's the same thing. Here's here's what I would say, though, is because they hemorrhage shots against, like worse than probably any team. And Chet's brother was running like a 920 save percentage in his first like 10 or 15 Jeremy? games. Calvin. 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 That's it. Who's Jeremy? Jeremy Smith. Jeremy Smith. There Here we go. Another failed golden prospect. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just be thinking about that. Uh, kind of run that over the next uh, next couple of weeks. So going to want to have a big project with that. We haven't done a big project since like the beginning of the season. So by a Lego set. Those are fun. Yeah. We're good. Well, it literally is the hockey podcast version of a Lego set. So we put it out there that we're looking for your questions for this episode. And people delivered. Starting Chris McCormack asks us. Seeing our center, seeing as our centers have struggled, any chance we see a prospect get a call at center? Right now, no. There's, I don't think there's anyone to call up. Yeah, uh, no one's ready. Yeah, I think I would rather see Kamenev uh, kind of marinate in Milwaukee a little bit more. He's doing great down there, and there's no reason to rush him up here. Absolutely not. Um, Yarn Croak's had some good games at center. He started him and Hodgson are kind of just switching back and forth. Uh, Ribeiro's had a Ribeiro had a rough game the other night against St. Louis. Ribeiro's had a rough season. He's yeah. had a rough start of the year. He's got he's got his points, but they're you know he's been pretty unspectacular so far. And I pointed this out uh, a couple days ago, where it was the uh, 2014 year, where it was the year that Legwan got traded. Uh, Twenty games into the season or something like that, I remember 
like watching Legwand and he wasn't doing a damn thing out there, yet he was still leading the team in points. He just like very sneakily was getting secondary assists and assi uh, assists doing that. Ribeiro's kind of doing the same thing right now where you watch him play and he's not playing very well, but he's still getting those points. What defined the Legwand era is not noticing Legwand and him slowly doing a lot of things right. Um, he just he just made the like the day to day work of being an NHL player look super easy, but he just never translated into any dynamic play. Right. Whereas Ribeiro does not do the day to day job in NHL or well at all. Mm -mm. He's supposed to be dynamic on the offense, mm -hmm. and when he's not, even if he's picking up points, they're more coincidental than anything else. I agree. Mike Ribeiro is right at fifty percent as far as on ice goals for versus goals against on even strength. Yay! And what he's got. Eight nine points on the season. Yeah, well, you want you expect Ribeiro to be just above average with that. He's not a great defensive player, but you expect with the zone start he's going to get. He's going to you should be getting his points without a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's something that kind of was touched on. Well, we didn't touch on this, but it was mentioned that how Craig and uh, Mike Ribeiro had chemistry last year hasn't really translated so well this year. All right, when we look at even strength points for the Nashville Predators this year. He's actually tied with Philip Forsberg for the league, even only including first assists. His first, he has four first assists this year. Ribeiro? Yeah. So weird. So few assists. Well, he's got more than everybody else on I, the team. Well, I think that says a lot about how the team's picking up assists. Either they're spraying them out or they're just getting... Um, I don't think that... This is my hot take on this. I don't think the Lions have a lot of really good structure yet. Because I think mm -hmm. Philip Forsberg is trying so hard to do the job that Mike Ribeiro did last year. Mike Fisher is doing a completely different job, and James Neal is doing the same job. Mm -hmm. So you have Forsberg trying very hard to get Neal involved in every play. I also think that with uh, with Forsberg, I mean, pardon, with uh, Ribeiro on the line with Smith and Salamaki, well, Salamaki is a recent addition, but with Smith and Forsberg, or pardon, Smith and Ribeiro together, they're trying so hard to keep the puck in their own zone because they're going to get pressured off the puck. They're not, a, they're not the most stout guys, and they're not a not a great uh, – they're good as far as possession goes, but they're not known for their defensive prowess, let's be honest there. Colin, I think they do miss Colin Wilson. Uh, Smith whistles misses Colin Wilson. Well, I, I think those guys just, like, probably link arms and drive their cars home from practice every day. But I, I like your point about Forsberg trying to get people involved in the play and trying to fulfill that role, a different role. I really think Forsberg performs better when he's being a little bit more selfish. When yes. he holds yeah, on to the puck, because one of his greatest skills is being able to hold the puck and get through traffic. And if he's not doing that, then he's not playing to the best that he can for his skill set. And I think we saw that last night, because if you watch the highlight reel, he had, what, four, five, six good shots at the net and very good scoring chances, and it just was not going in. And I think that he was trying to be a little bit more selfish last game because Neil had the hot stick for a couple of games. So it's like, he's a shooter, get it over to him. Cause Philip Forsberg is a good uh, playmaker as well. In addition to, in addition to his shot. Uh, now Neil's starting to cool off a little bit. Forsberg is trying to do that. But now since he's in that goal scoring slump and nothing is going right for him, he's, it looks like he's gripping his stick a little bit too tight and trying a little bit too hard now. Whereas before he was deferring to the wing now he's trying to do it himself and that's a lot of shooters go through that i think he's also facing more double teams and facing more attention on the ice because you don't really worry about where mike fisher is on the ice the way you worried about ribeiro and that's not a complete shot against mike fisher because that's not mike fisher's game he's his game is to stand in front of the net and then just kind of and pick his spots 
James Neal's game is to he's evolving his game actually. Mm-hmm. But Neal's known for camping out, waiting for the puck, and then just trying to get a lane to, to throw it towards the net. So on that line, Phillips Forsberg is the guy that you have to just lock onto. And I don't think that's great for him right now. No, but if I mean if you watch him play and you look at the underlying numbers at the same time, he's still doing pretty much exactly what he was doing last season. It's just the pucks aren't going into the net right now for whatever reason, whether he's shanking it or he's hitting pipes or the goalies are making he's saves. He's not getting the clear looks that he got last year, though. Yeah, and I and I think it's it might be the Mike Fisher element playing into it. I mean, the line has had more stability with Fisher out there, but it lacks. I'm going to start reusing words that dynamic element that you had with Ribeiro, who could draw attention because if you if you gave Ribeiro space, he could thread the needle and make the pass that needed to be made. It's also very patient of a player that can start looking at stuff and yeah. get things going while James Neal and Philip Forsberg yeah. get open. So if you gave him too much space, he could make things happen. He had kind of the uh, kind of you know in, in soccer terms, he, he was kind of the, the playmaking midfielder, like the Pirlo type. Yeah, he's type role. He's got his head up. He got his puck. Got the got the stick on the puck and just looking around for where it's going to go next. And you have to worry about that kind of yeah. player. But with Mike Fisher, you like, you know he's going to crash bang in the net, and that's the Mike Fisher game. That's it. It's a quick. So it, it's they're they're relying on creating all of their offense yeah. on a like twenty seconds of zone time, and that's it. Yeah, and, and if that in with the crash bang, once he's once Fisher's there, he can't do anything unless someone else gets the puck towards the net. So if you can deny the puck's going towards the net, then Fisher's removed from the equation. And all you have to do is shut down the puck carrier. What happens if you, if with Forsberg playing the role that he is, going back maybe to his previous role, either you swamp uh, Yarncroak or Ribeiro up to the top line? Yarncroak would be interesting. I don't, I don't even know what he would bring. I, I mean, don't. it could, it could shake up everything, or it could shake up nothing. Yeah, and I don't know if Yarncroak is really ready for the. I mean, because I mean, on the top line, he's going to be getting. They're going to be getting tough assignments as far as the defenders that he's going to be playing against. Agreed. And I think that Yarncroke is doing really well with the um, assignments that he's been giving right now and the starts that he's been getting in the deployment. Um, and this goes back kind of like, you know, what what are you going to do when you have Yarncroke or Hodson, Fisher, and Ribeiro? Who goes where? Because no matter where you move someone, there's, deficiency. The there's a deficiency somewhere else. And it's just like, where do you want your least deficient line to be? That's a very valid point. I mean, I don't think Cody Hodgson could play out of position the way that uh, Yarncroke's probably, out of all those guys, Yarncroke's the one that could play out of position the most seamlessly. Mm-hmm. We're all in agreement on yeah. that, I yeah. believe. Yeah. So that's a tough one because I don't think Hodgson's quite earned that uh, quite earned that spot yet. And right now, Yarncroke is actually playing the softest competition against uh, for anybody on the team. At, yeah, I mean, at the most right now, I guess the what you could do is maybe move Cali to second line center, bump Ribeiro up, and then maybe see if Hodgson can play wing. But again, that's not an ideal situation, and I don't know if Ribeiro has necessarily uh, earned that top line center minute. But I don't know. May, maybe he gets something going again with uh, Forsberg and Neal because I mean that was the best line for pretty much seventy five percent of the season last year. Yeah. Let's go and get on to the next ones. Um, Chris McCormick writes in. Uh, actually, I just did Chris McCormick's. Nate, um, pardon, Kate writes in. How happy are you to have Barrett Jackman on the Preds? Scale of who to never let go, Jack. Uh, 
he's he's solid. Um, I don't know if that if if this is like a one to five, I guess he's like you know it's like a three. Yeah. Like he do, he goes out there, he does a nice job. He's not a liability. Uh, his partnership is fine. Uh, I, I I think he has done taken some really stupid penalties that were unnecessary, and and you know his some of his reactions to physical play I don't like, but. For the most part, I think he's been a fine acquisition. Yeah, I'd probably go on a scale of who to never let go Jack. I'd go Jack and the Beanstalk, which is, again, in that three, because it's a story you've heard and seen a thousand times over before. But depending on the iteration and depending on what you're hearing, you can hear it a couple more times. So at some point, wait, so is, is Bear Jackman Jack or is he the giant? And who is the Golden Goose? Uh... Well, the gold, the, Jones. No, I was going to say the Golden Goose or the Golden Helmets. <laughs> oh, God. No. Still hideous. Because the Golden Goose is gorgeous and the helmets are hideous. Okay. You're, you're, you're poking <laughs> holes in, in, a, in a metaphor that I didn't think well, through, okay? Well, perhaps this may change your opinion. What, what, um, what defenseman on has the highest on-ice percentage of shot attempts? I just looked at this. Hang on. The answer um, is Barrett Jackman. Barrett Jackman right now is 56.9% of shot attempts while he's on the ice being for the Predators. He has one, he has some of the best fancy stats on the team as far as defense is concerned. Which he's is, al- and allowing. actually, yeah, because I, I looked at that for my 10-game uh, my uh, post, and I was blown away at looking at it's across the board. Yes. Like his Corsi relative also is up high, if I remember correctly. His shots for are crazy. Just everything is good. Because he's allowing Seth Jones to be Seth Jones. The, the other thing, and this is something that I haven't cracked when it comes to the Predators, because it's been true for years. But the, I want to say the, I'm going to, I don't know, would you consider, is Jackman and Jones like the bottom pairing or I, mean, I I I haven't looked at the deployment uh, numbers. Yeah, to be yeah, because they get they get about the same ice yeah. time, and depending on who's writing the line combinations, they're at the bottom yeah, or they're in the at the second. Yeah, it's hard to say. But Nashville's has this weird history of you know Yossi and Weber having mediocre possession stats, and then someone one of the two bottom four pairings have the awesome stats, and I don't know if it's how they're used or the minutes they play or what, but it's it's something that's always been the case, Jackman or otherwise. Because you'll have guys like Hal Gill with good, like, Corsi stats and things like that. It's peculiar. Hilarious stat with Barrett Jackman. On-ice goals for versus on-ice goals against. What percentage do you think it's... It's, it's going to be positive, so over 50. What percentage do you think it is? Uh, I think it's like 88. It's 80. After this past week, is 80. 80%. <laughs> The closest is Roman Yossi with 58. So I'm having looked at all this and being the last one to answer, I'm going to go 4.5. <laughs> Does it say how many goals for and against he's been on for? Um, if it was a 10-point scale, I'd give it a 6.5 out of 10. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy that, with that it. Was, that was, there's going to be about three people listening to the show who just got the joke I just made, and to those three people who got it, you're my favorites. Thank you. Erica Lee writes in, what kind of force field did Allen have around the goal last night? Um, I know where she's coming with this. That was probably one of the more frustrating shutouts that we've seen against the Predators for a while. But you know what? Pecorine's done that to other teams before, so I'm not terribly upset about it. The the force field around the net last night is the natural chaotic state of the universe. That's, that is the force field. 
And usually it we're seeing physics this, in action. Usually this force field is deployed by the backup goaltender playing the Predators. However, Jake Allen is now the starting goaltender. For now. For now. His numbers are also really good this season. This season, yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for now. For now. For now. <laughs> well, it's what, the Blues. Well, for Ken, now. Ken Hitchcock is going to find a way to like botch this situation again, or Doug Armstrong is going to make another over, make another crazy move to it. So I'm, I'm not terribly worried about the Blues because you know, team did kind of take it to him, but you know, got to tip your cap. Allen played out of his damn mind. And what we'll see, I I guarantee you, next game, he is going to just flub, let in like five goals on like ten shots because. And that's going to be the downslide for him before he starts going back up again. Morgan Morris writes in, still looks like we need some pure goal scorers. It doesn't seem to me that Neil and Forsberg are snipers. Okay. Is it a lack of a number one center to set them up? And what's up with the second line? First off, James Neal is probably one of the best snipers in all of hockey. You know, there was um, a really, and I, I'm trying to remember if, I don't think it was, it was either Warren Ice or... Um, Another one of the another great stats, and I wish I was better with names so I could properly give him credit. But he did. There was a there was a great midweek piece released about hey, what are the what are the impact what are the things that impact wins the most, and and there was four factors, and the the shot quality was actually one of the least determining factors. So that's that's a sniper right there is shot quality. But what really was a huge driver was just literally you know shots on net like quantity just quantity mm-hmm. of shots so if you have a team of players who even if they're not elite snipers can generate a lot of shots on net they're going to win a lot of games that's why the team, the coaching staff has been so high on Victor Arvidsson because he plays hockey like an anime character he just tries to gain the zone and shoots it and it looks like it's a, it's comical because i'm sure the shots like 80 miles an hour but <laughs> Well, until he powers himself up, we'll have a, we'll have like a training sequence. <laughs> we'll have a tra- there'll be a training sequence mid season. He'll come back and he'll be like far far better. I want to see that montage hair. with blue hair. Yeah, Gotta no, I th- I think it's one of those things where, again, they're getting their looks. It's just not going in for them right now. I I think that we're we're gonna see in the next couple of games Forsberg break out for a couple of goals, um, a game. Going forward, I mean, I, I le- legitimately believe that that's going to happen. He's going to pot one, and then the floodgates are going to break, and he's going to score a lot more. The finest question that has ever been asked this show comes to us from Matt Scully, longtime listener of the show. If you had invented hockey, what would you have named the sport? If I invented hockey? If you had invented hockey, what would you have named the sport? Oh, see, that's tricky. So what I want to name it, it wouldn't have made sense when I invented it. So that's unfortunate. Like, what is hockey? Like, if you broke down hockey, like, do we have a linguist on on Twitter? That's an excellent question because, you know, American sports, basketball, <laughs> baseball, football, which is a bit ironic, but, we'll, you know, whatever. Well, the, the football. Disc net. Ice skate? No, I don't know. The ice skating is like, already like a thing. Yeah, Disconnect. Disconnect. <laughs> sounds like sounds like a really bad version of rollerball. It's like there's rollerball is like the number one sport in the future. Then there's Disconnect, which has like fourth most popular major <laughs> sport. Slam ball? Yeah, you're not allowed. 
<laughs> wow, that, was, that was a deep pull oh, right there. Yeah. So next, we're going to be well, talking about even, XFL. and I don't even know where uh, the name hockey came from. I don't think I've ever actually looked that I'm up. I'm actually looking this up right now. The name hockey has no clear origin. It is first known mentioned from the 1773 book Juvenile and Sports Pastimes, to which are prefixed memoirs of the author, including a new mode of infant education by Richard Johnson. Wow, that's like that's, super that's like the longest title in the history of. Recording. Also, that guy's nickname is Dick Johnson. Ooh, also, uh, 1573 statute of Galway banned a sport called hokey, which is the hurling of a little ball with sticks or staves. So, isn't that really popular in Ireland? Hurling. The word puck. Or what do they call the that? word? That puck hurling? derives from a Scots Gaelic uh, rounders puk or puck. No, it's the one. Is it round? No. Where they oh, have they like have the, the, the club. The cl- well, it's, oh. that's Jaiwai. Okay. The, uh, the club and and you have to like. There's like a goal you can shoot into, or there's like posts you can shoot. It, you can shoot it through, and you have to advance it by hitting it. And so they juggle it like on these end of these weird paddles. I think I know. It, they it's kind of hook like that. Brutal. Yeah, they it's look incredibly like that. Incredibly brutal mm-hmm. sport. You mean bandy ball. No, it's it's called like. Hurling or shinty? something like that. Oh yeah, hurling. I see what it is. Closely related to shinty. Yeah, it's I'm, an I'm... Irish. Um, it's really big in Ireland. It's like their national sport or something. So, all this to say, hockey's just kind of just they just kind of named it hockey. Any idea what you would <laughs> you would have called it? I mean, disconnect. I think is a good start. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to go like. I've got all these like power metal songs going around in my head with like wind and winter and. Winter winds. I don't know. Winter winter winds. <laughs> Coming up with a George R. R. Martin. Winter novel. winds. Ho- Nash, yeah. National Winter Winds League rivalry night. The night that makes you ask, "What the hell is winter winds?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'd probably name it some like ice lacrosse or something stupid. Yeah, uh, ice lacrosse. Frostbite. Is that, is that mm-hmm. That's actually close to Bandy. If you ever watched Bandy, that's ice lacrosse right there. Interesting. Oh, Bandy's super fun to watch. Yeah. It's always like because the championships, the world championships, are always um, Russia versus Sweden every single <laughs> year because there's only about three countries that play. It's it's a nutty sport. I wish I got the Ocho to where I could but watch even, it. But like everything else makes sense. Like every sport, the name makes it. Hockey is just really weird because I mean you have like handball. There's a hand and you hold the ball <laughs> in your hand and you throw it. I mean it makes sense. Football, if you want to call it football, like for the for the soccer, that yeah. makes even soccer makes sense because it traces back to association football is the origin of that. So, I mean, everything sort of makes sense. Then you get to hockey. Well, rugby. Where did rugby come from? Oof. Yeah, this is this is the part where we, where Dan Wikipedia is things <laughs> as we ask him questions. The favorite the one time I, the top, I bring top my segment laptop. on the show. Oh, now, yeah. The one Dan time Wikipedia. in the history of the show I bring my laptop. It's very entertaining for the Dan, people who are listening. Can you check the traffic on the way home for John? No, I'm the one who needs traffic. Actually, I'm not, I'm not going straight home, so I think it'll be okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's Sunday night national traffic. No. Anyways. Yeah, we're just close. We'll have to um, come back to this. This is. I don't know. I, 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 it's hard to come with a clever name because everything I want to say is, is just insulting towards other people. Um, so I'm just going to stick with Disknet. Disknet, I think, may be the best. Or we could have just called it Crosby as the prophecy foretold of the chosen one coming, or Gretzky. That's probably be a better one. going to go out and play some Gretzky tonight, guys. You in? You in for some pickup Gretzky? That sounds like a card game. It does. Like Euchre. It sounds like one, you, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking It sounds like one of those games of. they play in prison, like Euchre. Cribbage. <laughs> the, uh, well, I have to say, the prison <laughs> hockey leagues are pretty pretty rough places. <laughs> I saw Trailer there, Park Canadian prisons. Like there actually was a story of where the uh, Detroit Red Wings played a prison team. 
they beat them like 18 to nothing or something like that. I think they called the game after the second period, but it exists. It's a story. I'll tell it to you guys one day. <laughs> we, can, we can have Dan Wikipedia. It. Yeah. It's pretty much all that that is. From there, we're going to get off this highway <laughs> to hell and then and get on to the... Talk about some, some Disnet. Come on. Let's talk about Disnet. Bring in our five tough questions for the week. Number one, in honor of assistant coach Phil Housley being inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. In your eyes, who is the best player you have ever seen that's not currently in the Hall of Fame? That I've ever seen? That is not currently in the Hall of Fame. I, and I'm probably shortchanging a lot of people, but just like me personally, from what I remember, is Peter Bondra. Ooh. He was a great, like, I don't think that he's Hall of Fame worthy, just because of a lot of different factors, because he's like, he was a great hockey player, but was he a Hall of Fame hockey player? I don't think so, but just watching him skate and watching him shoot and watching him just play with... Uh, some not great teams, and then a pretty good team that surprised to the Stanley Cup run, and then uh, after that when the team was terrible. I I think that he probably might be my favorite capital from that era. I'm going to go... Oh, so I'm I'm also going to go Homer. Okay. Eric Lindros, come on. I mean, if it weren't for concussions, one of the most dominant players of the 90s. Mm -hmm. Maybe Unstoppable. He, maybe he's holding out for the Hall of Fame until a <laughs> certain year. You like that? That was a joke. I like it. Good. I'm, I'm just glaring. Yeah, I know. That's funny. You leave Eric Lindros and his attitude issues out of this. Uh-huh. I think Bondra may take the cake with that. I was I was actually just going to say Yager because that's a cheap way out of it. But Right, but I mean, well, he's, still, he's, he's first, still playing. Yeah, yeah he, and he's going to go into the Hall of Fame There's as no doubt soon as he's that. eligible. There's no doubt about that one. Hockey is one of those sports I feel like that you have the guys that are going to be in the Hall of Fame and you have guys that just clearly aren't. Whereas baseball, you have these all these fringe Hall of Famers that are you know that are debated about for a long time. Um, what I mean, like I know the Zubov, and there's a few other guys you can make arguments for too. But I think Bonder may be my favorite favorite guess on this. Um, better than anything I came up with. Number two, are the St. Louis Blues definitively the best team in the Central Division right now? Definitively, uh, I don't think definitively. Uh, no, no. no. Uh, the Central is just so good right now. It's so hard yeah. to. You know, I I stick by what I said when we were doing the original rankings earlier this season. That if you basically took all the Central Division teams and wrote them on like the sides of dice and put them into a cup and just shook it up and slammed that down and just said that's the order. As long as you didn't have any die with Colorado Avalanche written on it, you'd have a pretty decent ranking. Yeah, and so far that's exactly what it's going to be. I mean, Chicago Black, the Chicago. Uh, Blackhawks have what fifteen points now, and they're in sixth place in the Central, something like that. Seventh, or I'm sorry, they're fifth or sixth. They're outside of a wild card position. Predators had one of the best starts of the season since I think the best start since oh five oh six, and that was still only good enough at the time for third place. Game in hand, but only good enough for not, third place. The Central Division teams aren't playing each other. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, because that that's the brutal thing. That's the worst. The Predators, no matter how good they are, they're still in the Central Division, which means there's always a team that's a little bit better. Yeah, and so they can never get they can never get a division banner for that very reason, or conference banner even. Well, mm. right now you have Dallas right now being the kind of the team with the best record. But I don't think. Yeah, well, they're cheating. They've got they've got Ben and Sagan. <laughs> That's a cheat code unlocked. Um, number three, real quickly. Um, this is just a very blunt question. Why is Craig Smith not scoring right now? Because he that's how he works. 
He just he. I mean, if he scored at the at the pace he's been scoring, he did it through the season. He'd have like forty goals. I mean, he'd be an elite goal scorer. He's scoring like Craig Smith scores. He's gonna get twenty five goals, and that's gonna be fine. Yeah, I, I've just from signaling him out and watching him, I'm noticing that he's healing a lot of shots. He's missing the net a whole lot. Um, I don't know if that's a combination of him being frustrated with nothing's going in the net, or if it's a combination of Ribeiro and him not having that chemistry that they had before. You know what it is? It's El Nino. The hot, <laughs> the warm air across the United States is is having a negative impact on the ice at all these locations, and they just went to Southern California. Very warm. Hard, hard, you know, you got some of the worst ice in the league on the West Coast. Especially for a Madison boy. That, those, yeah. those guys are just finely tuned. Uh, it's got to be a specific set of, uh, well, of weather. Think, but if, <laughs> but it, you know, if you think about... A guy like Craig Smith, who's sort of a uh, sub elite goal scorer, so he's kind of in the, he's in the tier down where he's not in a thirty goal scoring club. Uh, he needs he may need a little bit better condition to get up the shots he needs to get get off, and I mean ice conditions and things mm. like that. So I mean, it could just be he'll score more when he's playing on better ice. That, that could be absolutely BS. But so keep your eyes on him when they go to Winnipeg. Yeah, I'm just blaming El Nino. Or, I'm sorry, Edmonton. Right yeah. I, Pacific. I'm going to I'm going to say something along the lines of what I said with Forsberg. I think he's going to pot one and the floodgates are going to open because again, he and Forsberg I've I've been looking at they're playing well. It's just not working for them right now. And that happens with any goal scorer regardless of how good you are. Should they be playing Weller? They should be playing Weller. Need to play Disnet Weller. Number 4. The St. Louis <laughs> Blues uh have animated their rallying cry this year being hashtag #roar bacon. It's a uh, play on a typo that came out Wednesday night. What NHL team has your favorite, uh, or your either your opinion the best, or your personal favorite social media presence? Uh, so I, this is a little different this year. Um, I'm going to go. This is different. I would probably say any other year because right now the Flyers social media has been doing something that I think is kind of dumb but in, infinitely entertaining. Every time a Flyers player scores a goal they post this really weird animation of that player on fire. So it's it's the player just covered in flames when you score. And it's just so goofy. I love it. I'm going to go old school. I'm either going to say the Kings or the Blue Jackets Twitter. I mean, those are the classic ones. Although you have been noticing over the past, like, year or two how much personality is coming through in all these they're putting oh, they're so com- much they're effort copying. yeah they're putting so much effort in their social media uh, for like to find like you know gifts and like the predators twitter is the same way where they're extending so much ed- effort into their marketing to try and be like personable and fun and all that other stuff and, i mean it's good to see but i'm still enjoying the hell out of the fact that they put all this effort into marketing and uh, social media and something takes off due to a freaking typo. Uh, that's, that's that's the, the internet. That's the way the internet actually works. What about the Dallas Stars? Because the Stars will use the... They'll, they're not afraid to show them what's going on inside their arena on the scoreboard. They... Uh, their banter with the Dallas Cowboys, I thought, was the best. So good. Well, that was That's like the ultimate home run in the history of hockey Twitter. I was like, what, three, four years ago now? Yeah, I, and I remember every bit of it. That's it's what sticks with you. Dallas, for some okay, for some for those who aren't familiar, Dallas. If you look at the history of like their social media accounts for their, their professional teams, you have the Cowboys guy who got fired for tweeting about the stars on, from 
should have been from his personal account. You had the Rangers guy uh, do the same thing, uh, talking about Texas uh, Longhorns football. So someone in the Metroplex can't screw it up. Yeah. And finally, is there a team in the NHL that you don't have a personal attachment to that you are secretly rooting for them to make the playoffs? Then I don't have a tat. You said like not the Preds or Flyers, not really the Preds or Flyers, not the Preds or Caps, not the Preds or Lightning uh, that you're rooting for. I've previously asked you about what teams are entertaining for you to watch. Well, I, but it's, the, it's going to be kind of the same answer. Yeah, really. Uh, well, uh, well we, we said we said Arizona, but oh, I never say Arizona. Yeah, no, I'm I not. Never ever say Arizona. Well, I, it's hard not to at least see them having fun with Dumay and Declare. Yeah, I mean, I would Claire, like the fun. fun I, I would like for the Coyotes to make the playoffs. Realistically, I'm not like rooting for them to because. I mean, I get my heart broken enough with the teams that I watch, so... I'm not because um, I want them to get Austin Matthews. That's, yeah. I don't want him um, going to Toronto. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be fine with him, with them bottoming it out pretty soon, which, you know, they need to start doing if they want Austin Matthews. Yeah. Uh, no, but I, I was thinking about this even last year, and I really want the Florida Panthers to make the playoffs. Florida Panthers, same answer. Yeah, same I, answer. like, I want them to beat out the Bruins. I'm sorry, I want them to beat out the Flyers, if that's if that's a I, thing. I want them to beat out the Senators, because the Senators are like the wild of the East. They're just so boring to watch. If if I could see Yamir Yager hand Roberto Luongo the Stanley Cup, I would be the happiest person <laughs> in the world. So we're all, let's decide we're all in just unanimous agreement on this. Yeah, and the, I, I think they need it, too. They, they really need it. some success there. And I think they should have their Stanley Cup parade in downtown Toronto just to rub it in. <laughs> That'd be gross. I mean, what are you going to do, circle the Sawgrass Mills parking lot? Or? <laughs> they could just use the route that's already been planned in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> How long has that route been planned? Uh, what is it? I think it was the summer was of 2012 Burke. or 2013. That was one of those. It was whenever the um, the MLSE uh, took over the Leafs, and they're like, "We've already got the route planned. We've we're, we know we're going to do great." TSN man. Looking ahead at the schedule, speaking of the Senators and the Maple Leafs, uh, the Predators are going to play three straight games against Canadian teams: Tuesday against the Senators in Nashville, Maple Leafs Thursday in Nashville, the Jets in Nashville on Saturday. Uh, coming off of two straight, uh, pardon, uh, they've lost two out of their last three in regulation. So, Senators, okay team. Maple Leafs are terrible. We don't know what to expect from the Jets. What are we thinking this week? I, I think, it, it, I like this setup because um, the, the Senators and the Leafs kind of offer a, a nice, pleasant sorbet in between kind of the real parts of the meal. Um, and then they have a somewhat challenging plate of food in front of them that are going to be the Jets. Uh, I I really think it should be kind of a, a if they don't pick up points in each game, I'll be a little disappointed. I think it should be a, a two zero and one type type uh, week for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, I could absolutely see them just going two and one, losing to like they're gonna lose somehow to the Maple Leafs because the Leafs, and then they'll whoop the Jets and have a tight game against the Senators. Three and zero. Just because I, re- I honestly think they're going to be furious with themselves after Saturday's game, and perhaps we see some lines get moved around. Perhaps we don't, but the power play and the penalty kill both need a serious tinkering after I, this past week. I honestly would like to see them keep the lines the same from last game, just because of how well that they played, and especially. I mean, I guess if you're going to tinker, do it against the Leafs because that's. I mean, they're one of the worst teams in the NHL. Um. 
But, I mean, if they could put the effort that they played against St. Louis, against the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're looking at another 9-2 to game. Oh, they'll lay waste to them. (laughs) I agree. All right. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter at 3DLink. You can follow John on Twitter at JGarcia36. You can follow myself at DanDBradley. You can follow the show at OnTheForeCheck. And, gentlemen, anything before we close up shop on this one? I don't think so. I'm looking forward to the Canadian Visitation Week, and um, I'm not. Why not? Okay, r- real quick. I mean, we get to see <laughs> David Legwan maybe skating to the wrong penalty box again. Uh, no, no, he's, he's with the Buffalo Sabers. When did that happen? Oh, this summer. summer. God, he was he's part so of... sneaky with everything he does. <laughs> he was part of the Leonard trade, man. Oh, and I even had a conversation with somebody at work who hates David Legwan but loves the Buffalo Sabers, and I even forgot that. That's how memorable Legwan <laughs> is. All right, just a little fun game to play. I mean, we know that. Toronto is definitely the most supported team, but they're coming in on a Thursday. So you got Ottawa, Toronto, Winnipeg. Which city will have the most drunken fans coming into Nashville? Because Canada looks at Nashville mm. like it's Las Vegas. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Winnipeg. I will also go because I've gone to a Winnipeg game before on a Saturday, and there were a lot of jet. Not like Chicago a lot or St. Louis a lot, but I mean, there were they're, they're just glad to not be in a, on a tundra, so yeah. they're just gonna tear it up. I mean, the Toronto. Folks are probably somewhat more cultured and put together than they the have Winnipeg more disposable fans. income though if they're a Leafs fan. <laughs> Let's face it. Well, no, rent's be... a lot higher in Toronto than Winnipeg. Yeah, I mean the cost of living may limit their spending power for alcohol. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Saturday with what I've seen before, it's gonna be Winnipeg. What what, what are you like laughing, laughing at? My lasting image of Leafs fans is the guy just blowing money at the dropping $500 chips all over pounding, the place pounding the table losing pull, two grand pulling, pulling out, out like 100 crumpled dollar bills and throwing them on the table after pulling out like nice crisp $100 bills and losing that moments before just rage betting in like the worst way possible <laughs> like I just lost a thousand dollars let me bet a thousand more and, and get this, it back and his bros from Toronto are making fun of him the whole time oh that was uncomfortable <laughs> to, to run bro no it doesn't work no they were on their like 40s no, I can't do it. There's yeah. nothing there. All right, guys. We'll talk to you all next week. Chris. <laughs>